in the afternoon. The topic that I will try to talk about before, after I, we, we pay homage to the Buddha, <laughs> will be explained after we take homage. So we will pay homage. Namo tassa bhagavato arato samma sambhandhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arato samma sambhandhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arato samma sambhandhasa So what I was going to say is that the topic of uh, this afternoon will be, the, the title is Object and Objective. Object and Objective. So do you have any objection? <laughs> so if not, then I will proceed. Don't we have an objective in life? Do we have a goal? Do we have an aim? What is our aim? What is our objective? What is your aim? What is your objective? In your life, in your daily life. What is your objective in your practice when you are sitting here? What is your aim? What is your object? That means, what is your situation now? What is the object of your mind? What is the situation in which you find yourself here, now? So, this is what we will try to figure out or try to get a little bit more clarity about what we are doing, why we are doing it, and how we can do it. After looking at the, the title, then I thought that actually object and objective can be related to an aspect of the Dhamma explanation, the Dhamma teaching called the Patisambhida. Huh? So it's a way of analysis. And there is a book written about that called the Patisambhida Magga, the path of analysis. Basically, what we find in that book, we are not going into getting lost in that academic thing. But basically what we find in that logic is that we have the fruit of a cause and we have the cause of a fruit. So the fruit of a cause is actually our objective. This is at so when we look like this, the, the, the sutta, for example, I'm just going to, into a, a, a small detail of the Pali. So the sutta that you have, you know, in the Anguttara, that the sequence, uh, it is which purpose? And the title is king, king, what? At, attika. So attika refers to atta. That means what is the purpose? So a purpose actually is the fruit of a cause. And then... Dhamma, Patisambhida, this is the cause of a fruit. So 
If we understand the causes, then this is Dhamma, uh, and then these, of course, are going to be uh, produce, producing fruits. So when we are looking at our objective, then we have to look at the Dhamma also. What are going to be the causes to bring this fruit? Cause and effect. Effect, cause. Maybe in your life, your objective could be to be a great scientist. Maybe to be a great artist, a great writer, or maybe just to do a job that will make you happy and then will satisfy everybody. Maybe you want to be an athlete, or maybe you want to be, I don't know, a psychotherapist, uh, whatever you like to be. It's okay. This will become your objective. And then what are the means that you are going to put to achieve it? Maybe some of you would like to be a saint. So we could take the example of St. Francis of Assisi in Italy, that famous saint, and also his friend that became also, that is also a saint, St. Clair, I think. So. Of course, these are great spiritual ideals, but nevertheless, they are ideals that came to be embodied. They came to live the life according to what they believe, and they did it fully. So in this case here, we are all practicing a type of meditation that relates to a Buddhist tradition. So what is the founder of that religion, so-called, is telling us by the biography that we have of him. Of course, you have, many, you have read many books about that, and uh, the stories that we can make out of it are quite subjective. What we get also from the stories also are the points that really touch us. So briefly, I will just tell my own interpretation. So the Buddha, uh, you know, uh, is supposed to have come from a wealthy family, and then uh, he had everything, and uh, life was very satisfying to some extent. Everything he wanted was available to him. But at some point, he came across, you know, the four messengers of death, sickness, old age, and eventually he saw a monk, and then he got the inspiration to follow a path of ascetism, a, a path dedicated to spirituality. So he was in a search. So somehow, here, he had an objective. And his subjective was to understand what is the cause of death, what is the cause of suffering, what is the cause of birth, the cause also of sickness, all these things he wanted to understand and go beyond that. Is there a freedom from these four types of suffering, from these difficulties, from these realities that we find everywhere? Whatever we achieve, we are going to be sick, we will die, and also um, we will get old before 
So when you start to be old, then be sure that uh, you are going to die. <laughs> Even when you are young, <laughs> you can be sure of it, but you can forget about it. Never mind. So when he went for his uh, search or for his enterprise, then he renounced everything. And then he just went his way and went to various teachers and also practiced all kinds of things that were supposed to lead to liberation. And how do they describe these practices that he did? Is that... Uh, he did some type of, uh, definitely, he was doing an asceticism that was, you know, n almost torturing the body. He was going into such an extreme of asceticism that had a, a, as its purpose. He wanted to find suffering, uh, the end of suffering, outside of suffering. So the body is suffering, the body gets sick, the body gets sick, the body gets whole, and the body dies. So. If I don't care about that body, if I just don't care at all about it, maybe I will be free from suffering. So first, the ascetism was quite physical. He neglected a lot about his physical conditions. But also mentally, he was looking for something that was transcending that materiality, that was transcending the limitation of that physical body. So. He did meditation, actually, that were just outside the field of materiality. The other day we spoke about arupa jhana, the immaterial states of consciousness. So he was practicing these very strong samadhi that, was, that were taking his mind outside the field of materiality. But what he came as a conclusion was that it was not satisfying. It was not bringing what really he was looking for. Then what he did? He took a break, and then he went away from, from, the, from his teacher. He went away from everything, and then he came back to himself, and then he just relaxed. Suppose that he just take it easy, oh, and then started to be by himself and reflect by himself. Okay, what am I looking for? How can I achieve it? What is my objective? What is my object? How can I achieve it? So, then, as you all know from your experience of meditation now, many memories are coming to your mind. You think about many things, and then we are a bag of history. So what he did, or what actually came to his mind, is the memory, one of memory of his childhood. And then he remembered that when he was very young, he was with his parents in a field at the time of harvest, and it was a festival, everybody was happy, and then they were just harvesting, as we see you know, in these uh, countries where they still harvest with uh, you know, labor, and then it's just a very, uh, it's, 
it's a work of community. So all the village gather together, they have fun, and then they work, and then they are happy. But himself, the Buddha, he was very young, so uh, he went a little bit away from the crowd, and then he went under a tree, and then he just looked at the crowd there, you know, and then he was so happy. You can, you know, you know the, the child, like if you go to Asia, especially still, you know, the, 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 the parents, when they go to the field, they bring the little boy or the little girl, and then they leave it on the side, and then they plough the field. And the, 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 the child, although the child can be only two or three years old, the child just roams around and then plays with the various little things. Huh? And then the mother is working, but still as a, as a look on the child. Okay, now the child is okay; he would not be missing. So, this, this is what we can suppose that happened. So the Buddha was. Sitting there, you know, the breeze, everything was, was kind of cool. And then he was very happy. But also, he came to notice, I think this is what is said in the biography, he came to notice you know, the worms that were coming out of the earth because they were working on the earth. They were seeing the, he was seeing the worms getting eaten by the, by the birds. So actually, a feeling of the fragility of life came to him, and he saw that there is suffering. Life actually is just fighting for survival. But still, because he was very quiet, and also he was very happy, feeling secure, they say that he entered into a meditation which brought him a lot of happiness. So they say that he entered into the jhana, and also I think the legend says that he, he levitated again. You know. So this is the memory that actually brought him the conclusion that this is the way. This is the way that I will find my objective that I will find a way out of suffering. Not by being completely out of it, but by being with it, but with a different state of mind, with a state of great happiness, a state of great clarity, a state of great balance. And then, as you know, he came with uh, eventually all the, the, the results of, this, of his further practice came to express the teaching that uh, tells us about the four, the eight, uh, eightfold noble path. So this is this was his objective. He achieved his objective, and also the means that he found to realize it was the eightfold noble path, which is a middle way. So now for yourself, can you relax a little bit? Can you just take it easy and then just go in your mind, just go in your life? Has there not happened a moment of great happiness in your life? Sometimes before, a long time ago, or maybe not such a long time ago, which memory could trigger an happiness that really fulfill your heart? An happiness 
that brought you great hope or a great potential of wanting to do something really good. Also to see that for yourself at that time, this was a possibility. So from time to time, not all the time, but we can remember that actually we are still children with an objective that is our objective, with an ideal that is our ideal. So what is it? What is touching us? What motivates us? What gives us the guts and then the courage to continue and then to live and then to search and then to find out a way for what we want to achieve? And what we want to achieve, basically, it is connected with happiness. So the final goal that we are looking for will be inside ourselves. External things will just be the means that can support that satisfaction that we will have within ourselves. So I am asking all of you just to reflect, really, what is my objective there? And how can I achieve it? Of course, if we take it technically with the meditation, then if you like, you can take the, you know, these, uh, these three modes. Now it is three, before it was four. Now we have three modes. So with these three modes of mindfulness, the peripheral type, then the specific and the analytical observation, insight, to which extent these modes of mindfulness can connect us with our objective and then with our object. Our object is the situation in which we are. And then the objective is with these three modes. Number one, to have a mind that is very balanced. A mind that is not disturbed or taken on a side that will lead to unhealthy emotions. So as much as possible, the situation, what we are doing, what we are thinking, should just remain in a way that will keep us relatively healthy, physically and also mentally. So this is number one. Then the number two has to do a little bit more with what we bring to mind, the specific objects or the specific ways that we maintain the mind. So all objects of meditation finally are a kind of a medicine that will help us, you know, balance the mind. So many of them also are antidotes, you know, against ill will, antidotes against lust, antidotes against depression. So these different types of medicine, we need to find out, okay, now, in this situation, what do I need? Maybe I need a little bit of metta. Maybe I need to be triggered with a sense of urgency, like by thinking about death, or by thinking really about suffering in life. So this can activate, actually, 
the drowsiness that sometimes we may have in our practice. So all these meditation subjects that we find in the Samatha meditation are the types of medicines that are going to strengthen our mind, that are going also to balance and then to make the mind very clear. So with that clear mind, with mode number two, then the vision or the insight that we can have on reality is very different. It can be much deeper. So then, then the insight that we will have the understanding also that we will come to, be, to, 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 uh, to, to, to get will be really something very uh, profound. Also, these three modes actually also can be applied in our daily life. Uh, depending on the situation in which we are, then the little objective that we will have will be part of the larger objective that we have. So the ideal that we have in our life to do something really great, something that is our aspiration, has to be combined with small objectives, smaller aim, and smaller uh, means by which we will be able to achieve that final goal of our uh, ideal. So in this con- in, in, for this reason, everything we are doing will have an objective. Everything we are doing will have also an object. We'll have ways by which we will do the things properly, physically, verbally, and also we will do the things mentally. We will know how to feed our mind when we are doing things. Here and now, whatever situation in life we are in, there is a solution, there is a way to deal with it. So these modes of mindfulness actually help us to find the proper means for small objectives, which are also included in a very large picture of our great objective. So, again, objective and then object. The fruit of the cause and the, 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 the cause of the fruit. So now we read the sutta, you know, that was given to you, and then we try to be enthusiastic and then to be motivated, and then we read the sutta, and it's very nice sutta actually, like a, for someone, what is the purpose of a virtuous behavior? It is non-regret. What is the purpose of non-regret? It is gladness, and then happiness, and then concentration, and then seeing things as a, the progression is kind of very beautiful, very harmonious, isn't it? But when we are practicing, it's not always like that. Sometimes we have a really hard time. It's very difficult. Sometimes we don't experience happiness. We don't experience bliss. We are just in the mud. And it's not easy. So how, where can we put and locate ourselves in this text that, is, that seems quite theoretical? So the thing is that uh, we don't need to create things. It will happen by itself. So whatever mood we are in, it's possible to 
to, to, to work with it. But nevertheless, uh, we have another text, because I like text. Huh? Whether you don't like it, uh, it doesn't matter. You have to at least be patient with what I say. So we have a text also in the Anguttara, and then it is about, you know, somebody is asking about the modes of practice. And then the Buddha says that actually we have four modes of practice, four, four modes of practicing. And then one, the first one is a practice. We have a practice that is painful with sluggish direct knowledge. We have a second mode of practice that is painful with quick direct knowledge. Then a third mode of practice that is pleasant with sluggish direct knowledge. And then the last one, it is a pleasant practice with quick direct knowledge. So obviously we have the painful type of practice in which sometimes we find ourselves and sometimes the mind and the knowledge that we seem to get also can be very sluggish. So all these alternatives are possibilities in which we can find ourselves from time to time. But uh, the analysis here, the explanation that is given uh, in regard to these uh, four types of uh, practice is that Someone who is experiencing pain, the pain may be due to the mind. That means someone who is very lustful and then uh, have a lot of defilement, you know, in that uh, type of emotion. Then there is a lot of physical pain, a lot of mental pain, a lot of dejection born out of it. And then the same thing also, if we are, for example, if we are prone to anger, we always get upset and then irritated and angry. So that mood that we have in our mind will also uh, influence our experience greatly. Sometimes also, physically we may be ill, physically we may have a lot of difficulties, a lot of pain. So how can we be happy when the body is so much suffering? So the pain that we can experience in our body can also trigger that emotion of anger and then that irritation, that upset mood. So whatever are the conditions here, it is explained by way mostly of how we maintain the things that are arising in our mind. That means by way of Again, we see the six roots huh? by way of lust, hate, or also by way of delusion. The pleasant also, like for the pleasant, if you are experiencing ple pleasant, you know, all the time, then it's very likely that your lust or your anger will be, and then also your delusion will be uh, uh, not so much. But it's not, it's not necessarily the case but it has a lot to do with it. It's much more easier. So here we have an effect, and then also we have the cause. Also we have to see, okay, now this is the cause, and this is the effect. In relation to the knowledge, huh? so we have here, we, we explain about uh, you know, the painful way yeah? and the pleasant way. And then also in regard to the type of knowledge, sluggish direct knowledge or quick direct knowledge. So what is the cause for a sluggish direct knowledge? 
to arise. And the reason is given that it's because the five faculties of sadda, virya, sati, samadhi, panya, that means the five faculties of trust, like you should know about them. If you don't know, then you can read a little bit about them. No. The faculty of faith, or trust, or confidence, the faculty of of energy, effort, the faculty of mindfulness, sati, the faculty of samadhi, concentration, let's say, and the faculty of wisdom, panya. So these five faculties are actually the, the painting of our mind. They are actually the cluster that form the mosaic of the mind. So how is the mind actually harmonized by way of these positive faculties? So we have to see from time to time where they are, these five faculties, and also how we can increase some and then decrease some, and then by way of balance. How can I actually balance the faculty of energy together with the faculty of uh, calm? Hmm? How can I balance the faculty of faith with the faculty of panya. Also, too much investigation will lead to agitation, and then also too much of confidence will lead to, uh, to, 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 uh, to dull, not dullness, but to, to delusion a little bit. So if you trust the things too much, then the, 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 uh, you are not so clear about where you are going. So these things need to be balanced. I'm not going to go in the detail of that. This could be the topic of all uh, talk, and also you are free to investigate a little bit by yourself. What are the five faculties? How can I balance the five faculties in my practice? How can I balance the five faculties in my practice? So what is lacking in the best functioning of my uh, mind and body? It's interesting also that uh, the commentary to that text by the way, if you really want the, the exact reference, it is in, in the Book of the Four, in the Anguttara Nikaya, and then it is the uh, Sutta number 162. So if you take the Bhikkhu Bodhi translation, it is at the page 528. So what the commentary says about that, about the five faculties being balanced, they are the immediacy conditions. So here we talk about the cause and conditions. So there is a condition that is called the immediacy, immediacy condition. So that means it's a repetition. So it is one moment that is succeeding another moment. Huh? So this is, there is a kind of continuity there. So in this case, when the five faculties come together, they are very well balanced then it is a support for the fruit to arise properly. Then the fruit here, in the, by, way of, uh, by way of concentration. That means because of the five faculties being quite well balanced, then this is the state of samadhi. So the state of samadhi, that is the unity, the harmony of the mind, is conditioned by the balancing of these five faculties. So sometimes we, 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 we can inquire about the, 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 the aspect of trust. 
the aspect of fate, of sadda, huh? and uh, if you are not Buddhist, sometimes it is difficult to to get the faith in the Buddha, or sometimes it's kind of artificial. You know that quality sometimes is lacking in our uh, in the Western society because we are so rational, and then everything becomes to be so you know logical, and then everything that is side of that, then we just we don't trust anymore. We are just uh, uh, wanting to understand the things very precisely, so you are a little bit more analytical. We don't have that type of emotion that gives us you know, the surrendering that is necessary with the faith. So when we are faithful in what we are doing, there is a full confidence, there is the feeling of surrendering. So the surrendering now is a little bit less. Huh? So it has to be balanced, it has to be combined with intelligence, huh? but that type of devotion that we will have in regard to whatever we are doing is necessary. This is the quality of faith. There are very good books in the library about it, huh? and this is, can be a very, very interesting topic because it deals with the human emotion that makes us living really good. We have confidence and then we have faith in what we are doing. Important. So if we don't have the faith in a religious figure, for example, well, Maybe you have, I am happy for you, but what could actually uh, replace that emotion? What could replace that emotion actually is the emotion of love, the emotion of metta, the emotion of care, the emotion of compassion. How do you experience love and compassion and sympathetic joy? It's really a feeling of sympathy, empathy, a feeling of trust. There is no more enemy. There is nobody that is fearful. You just trust. And then also, you are able to see the beautiful. You are able to see beautiful qualities in people who may appear very ugly. Because metta opens your heart with acceptance. This is the quality of metta. You are accepting. And then also when you are accepting, anything actually has a seed of beauty. So you are able to see an aspect of the beautiful in every living beings, in every things that you are coming in contact. So when you see the beautiful, when you see the nice things in beings and in your surrounding, then there is a feeling of trust, there is a feeling of safety, and also a feeling of kind of confidence, and really the motivation, all, we can see how the metta can trigger really our practice, it can make a big difference. So from time to time, if we have that feeling a little bit, we can also develop it, and then we can see to which extent this aspect of metta or karuna or Mudita Upeka is actually a great booster and also is actually related to the quality of sadda. There is immense trust in life and everybody, everything around us is just life. So we just trust that.
So I kind of uh, come to a conclusion to what I try to say is that what is your objective? What is your object? Your object actually is whatever situation you find yourself in now, in your life, everywhere. This is your objective sphere. What is the object? The object also is the mean by which you will come to your objective. Your environment, your body, your mind. What you do, there is an object, there is also an objective. So when we start to give a great quality of what we are doing, how we behave, how we think, then eventually the minor objective that we are always involved in the direct practical situation in which we find ourselves, so this minor objective that we need to apply in what we are doing becomes eventually to be included in the larger objective that we have in our life. So the larger objective, finally, that we have in our life, we will be able to realize it in any moment of our existence. That's why, at some point, the wheel starts to involve so much of uh, the internal aspect of how we do things that we don't need to go anywhere. We are where we need to be, and then where we are also, we have our objective. And that objective eventually becomes fulfilled here now. So difficulties are there. Difficulties and challenges are just a reminder for us to adjust our means, to, our, to adjust our object, to, our, to adjust also how we are dealing with the things. But eventually, these difficulties or challenges are just a means for us to learn. So if we see meditation, if we see the life as a place of learning, then it's very interesting, and then we never finish to get something out of it. We never, we, we never finish also to give something out of it, so we can, we, we can become very creative. So I wish that we all have a very creative and very beautiful life, and then also have a very creative and very beautiful practice everywhere. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.